it's over 9,000! Welcome, Super Elite Warriors, to Final Forum, a podcast for the discussion of all things Dragon Ball. I am your host, Jelly, an elite recruiting member of the Frieza Force, on a mission to find the best warriors from across the galaxy to join the greatest army of all time. And I am joined, as always, by my new recruit co-host. This is the Bikini. So, what else? Excuse me? What else can kill us on this planet besides these giant ants? Oh, what are you, scared? Of dying? Again? I wouldn't say scared, but, you know, it's not exactly fun. This is work, Recruit. It's not supposed to be fun. It's not supposed to kill you, either. What are you, one of these Gen Z people who doesn't understand the value of a hard day's work anymore? Okay, first of all, you're not supposed to die at your job. That's just a pretty basic expectation. (laughs) If you're a privileged baby, I guess. Next, you'll be expecting not to get maimed, or you'll want bathroom breaks, or be allowed to take sick leave. (sighs) <sighs> Let's set aside your horrific willingness that scratch that eagerness to violate my rights for a job and expect me to be grateful for a second. Uh, what was that thing you said? Gen Z? What what the heck is a Gen Z? I'm pretty sure it's a person who was raised watching Dragon Ball Z. But weren't you raised watching Dragon Ball Z? Wouldn't that make you a Gen Z also? Yeah, but I'm one of the good ones. Listen, this is a long way to go for a bad joke. Can we just change topics? We can, but you're not going to like it. Try me. Well, let's get back to the question I posed in the first place. What on this planet's going to try to kill me aside from the giant man-eating ants? So anyway, I think Gen Z just doesn't understand the value of work anymore. It's about responsibility. It's about discipline. It's about being grateful to even have a job. It's not about questioning authority. It's keeping your head down. You just feel like you're owed something because, what, you show up every day? I guess I'll drop it. I don't need to know how I'm going to die this week. Okay, now, do you want to describe this planet to our listeners, or should I? Why don't you do it? I'll analyze the things you say, listening for clues as to how we will be attacked this time. Whatever you say, Snowflake. Anyway, listeners, here we are on Kamani, a planet of vast grunnery. It's largely forest. We can hear the leaves rustling and the trees creaking with the gusting of the wind. We also hear occasionally what might sound like birds, but I'm pretty sure they are the famed Kamanian bullet ants. What? The ants sound like birds. Is this a new concept for you? Yes. 
I thought we were hearing Pleasant Bird Song. You're telling me it's giant killer ants? So anyway, the problem with your generation is that... Okay, I can take a hint. Just get on with it. Well, I'm pretty much done describing the surroundings. It's a forest, and that's a good enough visual picture, I think. But in the spirit of getting on with it, let's jump into this week's discussion topic. And this week, we'll be talking about episodes 74 through 77 of the Dragon Ball anime, which are... Oh, man, I forgot to pull up the titles. Okay, I've got you. So we've got episode 74, which is the mysterious fifth man. Episode 75, the strong ones. Episode 76, the true colors of the masked man. And episode 77... Uh, this one's kind of like a translation issue, but it kind of differs between Pilaf's tactics and Pilaf's great strategy. Uh, so we'll start off with episode 74, The Mysterious Fifth Man. Just to catch folks up, we are, are in the middle of the Fortune Teller Baba arc. Our heroes have defeated the, the four previous fighters, and they are now being introduced to the mysterious uh, fifth member of Baba's team of fighters. Uh, this episode starts with a demonstration of how Devil Man's Devil Might Beam is supposed to work, even though that was technically last week's episode or at least the title was anyway followed by the technique hitting goku and not working we all saw that coming though right because apparently nobody else did unsure of what went wrong devil man assumes he's having an off day and tries again still no effect devil man finally realizes goku doesn't have evil thoughts despite murking an entire military base <laughs> uh roshi wonders if goku has a pure heart or an empty head my bets on the latter Devilman redoubles his efforts after his joke falls flat and continues his assault via pitchfork. Uh, the mysterious fifth fighter, who I'm sure doesn't have a surprising backstory at all, watches with great interest. Devilman manages to put Goku on the ropes, or ledge, if you will, but his tail saves the day again. Fight continues, Goku having a clear edge, and Devilman is quickly defeated in a literal blaze of glory. Now we bring on the mysterious fifth fighter. He reveals himself to the arena with Goku's friends, surprised that this is the best Baba has to offer. Number five asks to go back to the previous ring outside where there's more room to move. On the walkout, everyone speculates on the toughness of the new opponent. Goku's only observation, he smells, quote, happy, end quote. <laughs> Roshi also mentions that he seems to recognize the person's voice and that he is amazingly strong. Goku's ready for a fight to start, but Masked Man chides him for his lack of manners and reminds him to bow before the fight. The opening exchange is a flurry of punches, and then, wait, that's it? The episode's over? All right, moving on to the next one. Episode 75, The Strong Ones. We pick up where we left off in the last episode, Mass Man and Goku locked in a test of strength. Neither fighter is able to land a clean hit. Mass Man's unique stance also seems uh, familiar to Roshi, but he can't quite place it. The combat continues, but neither fighter seems to have an advantage here. Mass Man takes the lead once he throws Goku into the air and follows up with a vicious kick that, like, spikes Goku into the ring. But before he even lands back on the ground, Goku springs back up from the ground with a kick of his own. The Mass Band tries another flying kick, but Goku literally just shrugs it off. And the Mass Band decides to go for broke and busts out his signature technique, the Kamehameha Wave. What? Who could have seen that coming? Sadly, Mass Band's aim's a little off, and he only manages to hit Goku's afterimage. Goku actually jumps way up into the air to avoid the Kamehameha Wave. This also makes him the perfect target since he can't move freely. Uh, Masked Man gets ready to double down on the Kamehameha, but Goku beats him to the punch, launching his own. This knocks Masked Man down and opens him up to a knee right in the sternum. Goku tells him to give up, but the Masked Man says nothing. In fact, he laughs when Goku tells him this is the end. 
how could this guy think he has the upper hand? By grabbing Goku's tail, of course. But how did he know? The last clue gives Roshi the confirmation he's been looking for. He knows who the masked man is, but he won't say. Masked man starts ragdolling Goku around the ring, being Hulk in this situation. Finally, Roshi reveals the masked man's secret. He is none other than Grandpa Gohan. Cliffhanger ending. We move on to episode 76. This one's titled True Colors of the Masked Man. Given that we know who the masked man is now, being Grandpa Gohan, this fight has been serving as a lesson to Goku. Up until now, he's been fighting people who don't know him or his abilities, and it obviously works in Goku's favor. But what if he fights someone who knows everything about him? Well, by the look of it, Goku kisses the mat over and over. Meanwhile, our favorite ineffectual villains have made a return. Pilaf, Shu, and Mai are testing new weapons developed solely for taking out Goku. They've also been spying on his progress and now know Goku's weakness, his tail. It seems that they're after the Dragon Balls again and are currently in possession of the last ball, which is held in a special case so that it can't be tracked by the ra Dragon Radar. Aha! Shu and Mai correctly point out that fortune teller Baba could tell them where to find the last ball, but Pilaf is confident that he can win now, knowing Goku's weaknesses. Back at Baba's, Goku's still playing Loki, getting, you know, ragdoll around the ring. I feel like I should take a moment here to remind folks that generational abuse isn't a good thing, no matter how superhumanly tough it can make your grandchild. <laughs> also, if your friends just stand around and watch your dead grandpa kick your ass, get new friends, please. <laughs> Abusive grandpa thinks they're great, though, like we need more reason to dump them. Then the problem fixes itself when Goku's tail literally rips out. Now Goku has no weaknesses. Way to go, grandpa. Goku readies to continue the fight, but Grandpa gives up and reveals his true identity to Goku. They have a tearful reunion, and Gohan introduces himself properly to everyone. It turns out this was all planned from the beginning as a way for Gohan to test Goku's progress, and he is more than satisfied. Upa worries that it is unfair to bring back his father, but not Gohan. Gohan says it's not a problem, that he doesn't mind being dead. There are plenty of peachy peachy girls in the afterlife. Roshi laments drinking the elixir of eternal life. Gohan pieces out for not Hiffle. And Baba checks out, checks on the last Dragon Ball. Turns out it's in a car and headed right for them. Ominous. And that brings us to our final episode, Pilaf's Tactics or Pilaf's Great Strategy. Now that we know where the last Dragon Ball is, Goku summons Kinto and flies off to, I don't know, commit Grand Theft Auto, I guess. In the car sits a scheming Pilaf using his Dragon Ball as bait so he can exploit Goku's weakness, his tail. We get a flashback of all the other times Pilaf's plans have fell through and Pilaf fails to connect the dots. Goku surprises our villains by showing up unexpectedly, even though they were going to meet him anyway. But Pilaf is confused by seeing Goku is alone and decides to follow through on his plan anyway. He proposes a face-off, with the prize being all of the Dragon Balls. Goku agrees without hesitation, but he won't swear. The side dish crew pops some mech capsules and begin the assault. You know, after talking about it for five minutes. Or at least they would if they weren't cowards. Goku attacks, Pilaf panics, and somehow swats Goku aside. Turns out these robots are actually pretty effective. Uh, Goku throws a boulder, no damage to the mech. Pilaf grabs a hold of Goku's leg and plays a game of crack the whip, seemingly putting Goku out of commission. Could Pilaf actually be winning? Goku pulls himself from the rubble, still able to fight, but these mechs are proving to be a real challenge for the little guy. He still manages to maintain the upper hand, so Pilaf enacts his daring plan. Grab Goku's tail. Just one problem, says Shu. He doesn't have one. They burn off his pants, apparently Goku himself is flame retardant, to find it, but still no tail. Goku spends the rest of the fight showing off his Winnie the Pooh style, uh, while the side dish crew show off their Voltron style. Goku blasts their Voltron in the chest with a Kamehameha wave, putting one of the robots out of commission, but Pilaf just converts the last two into a mech 
ostrich, I guess, and tries to run away. Pilaf tries to send Goku off with a parting gift, a missile. We know how that turned out for, for Black, but, you know, I guess Pilaf thinks he can do better. Sadly, Goku just returns to sender, which destroys Ostrich Voltron, wins Goku the last Dragon Ball, and shoes clothes as a bonus prize. And that is the end of that episode. What a great batch of episodes, frankly. They were they were a lot of fun. I, I very much enjoyed them. They were action-packed. They had a, a couple little subplots going on. It was really good. Yes, and very important batch of episodes we're going to get into and dig into a lot of that the one thing i don't have in our notes just as a as like a a thing i kind of picked up on this is one of the earlier times that we really start seeing characters talking about sensing people's power we did that in a little bit in the in the first budokai tenkaichi but we're seeing it you know sort of reinforced and hammered home again here that there's something that happens to you when you're training with Master Roshi and learning his his way and his style and 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 getting in touch with your own strength and power that allows you to like sense the strength and power of others as well as whether it is positive or negative type of energy. Correct. So diving into the notes, the trend so far with the saga has been Western. Baba's a Western-style witch. The fighters have been Western-style monsters. If you've been paying attention, you probably guessed what's about to happen. Continue the trend. Well, no, obviously not. Toriyama's going to do the opposite, so the fifth fighter is definitely going to be Eastern-influenced. And then we, the viewers, see Pilaf and learn where the seventh Dragon Ball is before the characters in the show do, in what might feel like filler but is actually in the manga. Uh, as a way to kind of like break up the battle and build some tension as the Pilaf gang learns Goku's weaknesses. But unfortunately for them, the weakness is pretty much immediately removed. <laughs> yeah. That's like, I feel like this is, it's not, this is certainly not the first time this has happened. I don't know if I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of other times. The The other big example, or maybe the only like really big example that sticks out in my mind and, and will probably stick with me for years and years is Monster Carrot or Master Rabbit or whatever he's called. That whole thing feels like filler, and it's not. Right. This moment where we suddenly cut away from a battle to watch these three gag characters <laughs> that we haven't seen since, in the manga at least, that we haven't mm-hmm. seen since the first story arc, feels like filler. But it's actually in there. That that's just is kind of interesting. Uh, so let's let's get into the the larger topic of the day, which is Son Gohan or Grandpa Gohan, and talk about all the stuff going around with him because this is it's we talked about. These are really important episodes, and it's not just because it gets a callback in Dragon Ball Super. <laughs> The name Son Gohan means monkey grandchild aware of cooked rice. This is the Son is Goku's familial name, and we've talked about how it's derived from Son Wukong, who's the monkey king. Gohan means rice in Japanese, and and in in Japan, rice is so ubiquitous. Saying Gohan is like saying let's eat, and the Go kanji of Gohan 
is the same as the Go in Goku, meaning aware or enlightened. The Han means rice. The Go in the Gohan of just actual regular plain old rice is as in like quote unquote let's eat rice is a different character's different radical with which is like an honorific prefix so Toriyama's doing his wordplay thing here right he's he's got words that sound like gohan so that it sounds like you're saying let's eat but when you actually look at the letters or radicals characters that make it up it's means something different it's kind of like the the only example in english that really jumps to my mind is everyone in louisiana spelling everything that's got an o in it with e a u x oh so like the the french suffix they do it as like a like a joke but it's like a like they like they say go saints or go tigers and it's G E A U X and it's so that you know that they're from Louisiana. Here he's saying Gohan, but he's using the the go the wise or enlightened or aware prefix to be like, yeah, this is rice, but it's it's aware, it's it's enlightened rice. <laughs> <laughs> his his clothing is traditional Chinese King Dynasty clothing. And he's built up as possibly the world's greatest martial artist, often being said to have accomplished feats only Master Roshi ever previously had. This is, you know, we see him do the the Kamehameha wave. Mm -hmm. At some point, he becomes a reclusive hermit, dedicated to his craft and raising his grandson. And the trope of a hermetic martial arts master is a long-used one in Eastern storytelling, and it dates back as far as Lao Tzu, who's the patriarch of Taoism. He wrote The Way of Virtue Classic, which is the, the, the Taoist tome, at, while living as a hermit. So being curious about all of this, like why hermetic masters are are such a pop cultural thing in in china and japan in 2004 edward berger who's a documentary filmmaker traveled to the zongnan mountains looking for remaining hermits and he wound up releasing a documentary film called amongst the white clouds and one of the monks in that movie specifically cites journey to the west as the reason he became a hermit and he goes further to say that the reason for his life of solitude is to truly understand that people eat of the dirt dirt eats people and thus none of existence is real we all turn to naught but dust in the end that's one we'll maybe have to put on our like our list, our ever-growing list of movies to like eventually watch someday and and, and kind of talk think that about would, here. I think that would be a good one. It's got like um, notes of of like nihilism in there a little bit. <laughs> so Gohan raising Goku is very Star Wars esque. When the ongo or when the original movie came out, we knew nothing of Luke's parents, but we were on board with his hero's journey. So it is with Goku. Toriyama is a Star Wars fan, so this parallel we think may be on purpose, or at least we hope it is. Gohan introduces the concept of Otherworld, or the Spirit Realm, or the Afterlife, if you will, into Dragon Ball by saying he's no longer alive. But why would a dead fighter need money? This is a traditional Eastern belief, and one we see in certain Western cultures as well, specifically Mexican culture, where the dead need to have a sustainable afterlife, and so on special days their ancestors venerate them with offerings that traditionally are traditionally burned in order to transmute them to the next plane of existence. 
Fighters in Dragon Ball are tempted back by Baba with the promise of money that may never come from their living descendants. In addition to being a witch, Baba is a medium, and her powers extend to dominion over the undead and ghosts, which allows her to bring a person back for 24 hours. All her many powers combined imply she's an onyoji, I think I said that right, yeah. uh, a master of yin and yang and able to control life, death, and matter. Onmyoji have a whole history in Japan, and there are many, many, many stories inspired by them. Yeah, stories and movies, and I mean, I think there's like a show called Onmyoji, and yeah, they're they're masters of yin and yang. I mean, I don't I don't know a whole lot more about that. I feel like again, this is one of those things where you could probably do an entire hour long podcast on Onmyoji, you know. But we're just trying to point out that this stuff kind of exists as, at the periphery or the, the, the subtext of the show that can make all... a good subject for later when, you know, it's just an episode of punching each other or something. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe when, uh, when Baba shows up again in super and you know, we got nothing else to talk about cause super is somewhat superficial. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> the Buddhist festival Oban sees Japanese families paying this reverence to their ancestors with the belief that these deceased antecedents visit their familial altars during this time. This is one of the most important holidays for Japanese Buddhists, along with the New Year's Festival, and it's actually the biggest, Oban is the biggest, for ancestor veneration. It's de derived from a Chinese holiday called Yulan Pen, where the gates of hell are opened and the ghosts and spirits return to walk among the living. So the similarities here to the Mexican Dia de los Muertos are, are fairly obvious. If you've seen like Coco, <laughs> uh, does a pretty good job of depicting the importance of that ceremony. So just don't. Also, just a really nice movie that will make you cry in the end. I don't care who you are. <laughs> don't don't one to one transfer it, but you know, consider if you've seen that movie and you kind of feel like you got a good context for Dia de los Muertos from that movie sort of transfer that sort of thought process into what Oban is. Oban, however, is it's overseen by Enma Dayo, the great king of the demon gates. And if your powers of translation are pretty competent, you can guess whose name kind of sort of sounds like Enma. You'll recognize which character this is eventually going to be in the dragon world. Baba has a relationship with Enma Dayo, or you might call him King Enma. Have I made it clear eh? enough yet? Eh? <laughs> which which allows her to broker these deals. The halos that we the halo we see these over every dead character in Dragon Ball moving forward. And so it, I'll be frank and I'll, I'll be honest, I always thought it was a little confusing when we see, you know, dead dudes in Hiffel. <laughs> Mm -hmm. with halos over their head. I was like, aren't those the bad guys? How do they have halos? Because halos are somewhat ubiquitous, but just in case, even though they're found in some Eastern art and religious iconography, they're largely Christian in nature, and they're meant to denote that the light of Christ is radiating so strongly from a person that it manifests as a visible ring. So as a Christian, you see a halo, and you immediately think of that person as being holy. Now... In Dragon Ball, obviously, I wouldn't necessarily say that like Grandpa Gohan or Goku are holy people, but I, I get the message that they're good guys who are dead, and so therefore they have a halo. 
Makes I sense. always found it confusing that, like, Cell has a halo when you see him in the afterlife. Toriyama is the first person to combine this bit of Christian imagery with that of an Eastern hermit in general, and he claims the halo for Dragon Ball here, not as a means of signifying holiness as defined through closeness to the Christian God, but rather as a means simply of signifying that an individual is dead and yet important enough to allow to be remained in the living world or keep their body, even if temporarily. So shocker in Dragon Ball, Halo's are a designation that are reserved ex- almost exclusively for very strong fighters. So in Dragon Ball, if you're a strong fighter who has earned the right to keep training and being strong, or even, the, I don't know about right, the but the, the punishment, whatever that, like if you've earned a punishment in Hiffel, you're going to have a halo over your head. Because you've been deemed important enough to punish. Yes. <laughs> that makes sense. It's kind of got like a little bit of, of like Valhalla a little bit where like the, the warriors get to continue warrioring and partying for eternity. Yeah. It's sort of this. Yeah. We're going to at some point, I think like when we get into like, uh, again, because we may have less to talk about during these episodes. So I kind of want to save it for that. Uh, when we get into like the... Um, the afterworld tournament that they do. Cause I think that's like a hundred percent filler. I've found over the course of time here, a whole bunch of stuff about like what the Buddhist afterlife is like with all its levels and layers. And, you know, we've talked about like Sun Wukong was, was he originally like a, a stable boy or something? And he stole a bunch of stuff and got kicked down into the, the, to be a monkey. And then brought back up and he got, put in the crucible and it just made him stronger all that stuff like i found a whole bunch of stuff about the the bureaucracy of buddhist afterlife and we'll like dig into it at some point and that makes sense considering what i've seen of king enma so yeah okay (laughs) (laughs) so for those of you that are watching the episodes alongside us you've probably seen now that grandpa gohan is wearing a fox mask so why the fox mask well settle in because this is going to get pretty dense in uh, Japanese, a fox mask is called a kitsune no omen, kitsune meaning fox. Um, foxes have a long history in Japan and are loaded with cultural heritage. They're said to be capable of possessing human beings, replacing the human essence with their own to wreak havoc in our world and increase their powers. Uh, in China, foxes are known as raccoon dogs. Raccoons in Japan are tanuki, which are said to have shape-shifting abilities which then gets translated to foxes as they sort of look similar. In Chinese literature, the novel Feng Shen Yanyi describes a fox possessing a concubine who then terrorizes the royal court, ultimately leading to the fall of the Shang dynasty and the establishment of the Shu dynasty. During the Tang dynasty, this idea of shape-shifting evil foxes is exported from China to Japan, but the innate evil nature of foxes is downplayed and they become more like mischievous tricksters than outright or, or even like outright benevolent in some cases. Foxes eat mice, mice eat rice. And so foxes can be seen as good omens as they become interwoven with Shinto beliefs and, and the rice god Inari. Rice is white and thus Inari's color is white. And so over time, a white fox becomes a representation of Inari. Shrines to Inari often place a white fox statue in the northeast corner of the shrine, northeast due to feng shui reasons. 
which was also exported from China to Japan. Because the fox is a messenger of Inari, they are said to sometimes shapeshift into human form in order to bring messages from Inari to the human world. Yeah, and Tanuki are awesome. I just need to say that. I think I've said that before on this podcast somehow. I don't remember. Miyazaki. Didn't he have a, a movie that was like kind of centered around Tanuki? Pompoko. Okay. I knew you'd be the one to ask for that. Pompoko is amazing. Okay. First of all, Tanuki are awesome. They're adorable and they can transform into stuff. But it's not just that they can transform into stuff. It's how they transform into stuff. They use their scrotal sacks. <laughs> I knew that's where you were going with this, and I still find it funny. It's incredible. The most <laughs> powerful Tanuki are the ones with the biggest scrotal sacks. As and is every other thing in life, I guess. And they can like they can flap them out and make them into blankets, or like they they wrap themselves in them and take on human form. That's right. When you think you've interacted with a tanuki, you've interacted with a raccoon wearing a scrote suit. <laughs> <laughs> so think about this then even further is when you play Super Mario Brothers three and you turn the into tanuki, tanuki Mario. Oh no. You're wrapping yourself in your scrotum every time you turn into a statue. I didn't think about that. Now now I don't want to. Is there <laughs> is there an undo button? <laughs> and yes, Pompoko is great. Pompoko is um it's like an envir- it's like a very pro environmental movie, but it's about like how prior to Tokyo really exploding and becoming this mega metropolis that's not only uh, built up like vertically but has sprawled out so far it was there were a lot more nature areas with within the bounds of what is now Tokyo and this is Pompoko specifically about Tama Hills where prior to I don't I don't know what what year it is but I think it's like the 80s it might be the 70s it's not super important it was just nature and then they're building the tama hills like like prefecture the all the 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 apartment complexes and business buildings and everything that are going to go in there and it's infringing on these tanuki and their lives and they try and fight back against humanity and and keep hold of their forest to very to to varying degrees of uh success i guess and as things get harder and harder for them they try and bring in these ancient tanuki masters who like each one of them that they bring in in this movie is given like a like it's they give their name and like a throwaway bit of dialogue but for a japanese audience member it would be like paul bunyan daniel boone like you would have instantly a whole bunch of folkloric stories about this one particular tanuki and the movie's great is great the one the one super old tanuki goes crazy and turns his scrotum into a boat and they all and like a whole bunch of them sail off into the sunset maniacally laughing about how they're just ultimately sailing to their deaths because when this dude like gets tired and can't maintain his boat form anymore they're all just gonna drown all right. Well, I guess that answers my question, which was going to be how many scrotal shenanigans are there? And lots. apparently there are lots. <laughs> so there you go, folks. They can fly using their scrotes, too. 
And when they do it, I, I guess like like a like a flying squirrel almost, right? Like they when, probably just sort of fan it out and use it to catch air. When they do it, yes. When they do it, just to ruin Mario for you even more, it oh, looks like Super Mario World Mario with the cape. Oh my god! You okay. know, you know, you know how that one flies. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, what no, they I'm look familiar. like. Okay, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for ruining childhood memories for me. I appreciate that. So back to foxes and Shintoism. The fox becomes a representation of Shintoism itself and is often depicted as the opposite of Saru or monkey, which is the representation of Buddhism. In Japan, then, fox versus monkey is a common artistic motif when depicting both religions. Toriyama is doing his spin on that here. Fox versus monkey. He's having his monkey boy fight a man in a fox mask. He's doing his Shintoism versus Buddhism thing. Foxes are super common in no theater, which is the oldest form of classical theater in the world, wherein the cast wear masks of whatever role they're playing. In no theater, the fox is most often depicted as a trickster, someone who's acting one way while most of the time while being like a, another thing, and he's sowing discord along the way. There's like a pretty famous example where this this fox is pretending to be like a police officer or something the whole time, and is kind of like pushing a group of people one way, and then as soon as he really pushes them over the edge and convinces them he realizes that or he reveals that he's been a fox this whole time and you know he's kind of gained some power from having sown this mischief but this is why gohan wears a fox fox mask he's tricking goku he appears to be an antagonist and an adversary while in reality he's actually he's lovingly checking in on his grandson to see how far he's come in his training and provide him a lesson along the way as well Yes, we can get into whether or not slapping your kid's face off the ground is is loving. <laughs> Listen, older generations were different. <laughs> <laughs> but it is he's 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 coming to check in on him. Um so while foxes are heavily present in no theater, monkeys are key figures in Kyogen which is another form of theater, which is much less serious in nature in no theater than no theater. And it's often performed in between serious no pieces to break up the tone. So you'll go to see some of this classical Japanese theater and they'll do like a no piece and then a Kyogen piece and then a no piece. Kyogen is often referred to as Sarugaku or monkey fun. So it's the monkey versus the fox yet again. And unlike we usually posit, where we say we think that Toriyama is at best sort of absorbing some of this through cultural osmosis, we think he would be familiar with some of this. Kitsune masks are very popular at Matsuri festivals, when people dance around the streets carrying lanterns and wearing masks. And we talked about how that Matsuri festival idea has even translated and filtered down into film festivals where Toho had their champion film festival and Toei has their, they call it like the manga Matsuri or is it, they call it the manga Matsuri or the anime Matsuri. I can't remember now. We will tell you in a couple of episodes when we do our commentary on sleeping princess in devil's castle. <laughs> Cause that's one of those Matsuri movies, but the lanterns that are at these festivals represent Fox fire that can be conjured from Kitsune tales and can number up to nine, which 
if you've been listening here and you're thinking foxes, nine, tails, lanterns, fire, this is actually the inspiration behind the Pokemon Nine Tails. Shocker. Uh, remember, too, that Toriyama is making a lot of his food puns intentionally. He knows Gohan means cooked rice. He knows that a fox is the representation of uncooked rice. This is a statue. This this uh, this Kitsune statue is in the northeast corner of roughly 20,000 different shrines scattered throughout Japan. And I'm not saying that there's one in every single town but 20,000 shrines in a country the size of Japan everyone's seen Pretty one of these yeah. <laughs> yeah. Toriyama is intentionally using the image of uncooked rice to portray a character whose name is cooked rice to further denote to his audience the subterfuge on display which is just another reason behind the fox mask it's le- levels and layers of trickery channel my Billy Mays here, but wait, there's more. <laughs> a final reason for that fox mask, Toriyama previously used the design in Dr. Slump. Classic Toriyama repurposing out of crushing deadlines due to his procrastination. Yes. <laughs> the reunion with Gohan is the somewhat rare incidence where we learn more about Goku from an interaction than we do about the character he's interacting with. We learn more than ever about Goku's contented nature and how truly incorruptibly happy he is and his worldview. For most people, seeing their deceased grandfather, who's actually more of a father figure, and raise that person, but only getting to be with them for a few brief moments before they return to the land of the dead, would cause them a lot of sadness. Uh, they might also be angry with this person if they treated their grandchild as Gohan, <laughs> just as with Goku, uh, beating him senseless for a while. Goku, however, is nothing but happy to see Grandpa Gohan and just grateful to have had this brief reunion. He doesn't question how Goku, or he doesn't question how Gohan returned, or why he needs to leave again. Yeah, and we'll we'll get all there's the the peel off stuff that we mentioned towards the end of our recap, and we'll get all into all that in our next episode. Despite seeing it here, is we'll wrap up the Baba arc and discuss some filler and go through comparing the manga to the anime in our next episode. But um, yeah, that's Grandpa Gohan. There's like way more to this than I anticipated. It it was surprisingly dense. Just the the layers of. I mean, just like the the fox thing, and then the, like coupling with Gohan's name, and just like how that all ties directly right into Japanese culture, just takes an episode that I think, for me as a Western viewer, didn't seem all that important, and really cements like how just sort of important this is for not only insight into to Goku's past, but also into who Goku is as a person. Yeah, and a lot of insight into like Toriyama here too, you know, and sort of his philosophies and beliefs about things, the repurposing of a, of a, now we don't see the the halo thing specifically until on like a bad guy until much, much later, but throwing a halo over an Eastern hermit is he's not making a statement that this guy is like one of the best Christians of all time. <laughs> <laughs> the oh. second coming of jesus so it's I, it's interesting i i would be super curious and i i guarantee like his answer would be all but like it'd be i'd be so curious to see where he decided that oh, i'm gonna do a halo to show that this guy's dead 
that would be an interesting conversation. You know, he, he'd probably just say, oh. Uh, but you wonder if it goes back to, we talked about this a little bit in our last episode. Was that our last episode or the one right before that? Now I can't get in the order a little mixed up. But where we talked about, like, the cross with Dracula. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It gets back into that, like, I'm going to borrow this piece of just iconography from this weird cult. <laughs> And not worry about what it means. It does help put things in perspective. Even like I can think of instances in like Western media where we've sort of bastardized Eastern philosophy in some way or another, I'm sure. Everyone does it. Therefore, it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Nothing wrong with that worldview. But no, it's also interesting, like all of this like fox versus monkey stuff, like to know that like because this fox thing is so ubiquitous in japan to know that like toriyama was at least doing a lot of it intentionally yeah had to have done is is pretty cool because you know we talk about a lot of times how just because you don't intend for something to be there doesn't mean it's not there like we talked about with the red ribbon army is toriyama making a political statement not on purpose but at the end of the day still yes kind of and is Toriyama trying to say something about this? No, he's specifically saying he's not trying to very often. But even when you're not trying to say something, that still gives us insight into your personality and what you think is or is not controversial slash worth talking about. Sure. And I also think it makes for a great shorthand for him as a writer to communicate a lot of things quickly to his audience. Yeah, and as, by I was using say, something like, that's culturally familiar to them, but but for him to just for once feel like he's placing something very intentionally in here, yeah, in a moment that on its surface is pretty important because it's it's Goku reuniting with his grandfather, and you know it's a moment that a lot of fans over the years have said is like a very emotional one and. Uh, the anime plays it differently than the manga, by the way. In the anime, he's like openly like, like very. He seems to be like, like sad crying. The the manga, he is. They do say he's crying, but like we never like he's got a grin on his face the whole time. But so it's a moment that fans have definitely attributed a lot of importance to over the years. To know that it is also like a, a culturally important moment with like a fox versus a monkey type of thing you know and and getting that that sort of background to it and everything is uh it's pretty interesting stuff i i I like that i like i like being able to say that this show is deep sometimes on accident and sometimes on purpose (laughs) yeah i think that's a pretty that's a pretty accurate assessment but yes that is grandpa gohan that's that's is this like the last? Is this like the only time we ever really see him? To my knowledge, yes, I think this is the only time, like, like actually in person. I think there might be like flashbacks uh, at other points, but those are you know memory. They're not. I, yeah, I again. think as we learn, as we end up learning that Goku is a Saiyan, don't we get like some some? Yeah, a couple snippets of like him trying to raise a feral Goku. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's ringing a bell, and that we haven't seen yet, because we 
we haven't seen this whole notion that he's sort of this monster sent to destroy us <laughs> who ends up hitting Boy, his head what a heel turn <laughs> but yeah that's that's grandpa gohan later the namesake of a of another character we won't talk about him yet though i mean we've talked about him a lot already actually <laughs> oh darn yeah that's that's grandpa gohan anything else any other thoughts musings on this character these episodes Ah, I think we've covered a lot of lot of ground very quickly today. Oh, was that too quick? Do we need to slow down? <laughs> no, I like this pace. It's nice. I don't know. Are there any other like um, so like like nine tails we mentioned? I wonder if that like I don't know any of the other monster sh- like I don't I never watched Yu Gi Oh or Digimon or. Uh, isn't Yokai Watch another thing? Like, I don't know if there's any other. Yokai is more like the evil spirit thing. I don't. I'm. Mm-hmm. I'm. I'm not super familiar with it, so I don't know if there's any Fox stuff in it. Um, but I think that's a a different thing. There is um, uh, a nine tailed fox spirit that's kind of like a a huge major thing in uh Naruto, but I don't. I don't really want to get into a Naruto thing. <laughs> That's a whole other can of worms. That's, that's a whole other can of worms. Yeah, no, there's definitely like other anime where uh, foxes are prevalent. I think they've been prevalent in... Um... Do you know there's an X-Files episode titled Kutsunagari, which means fox hunt, and it's referring to like Fox Mulder being like hunted during that episode? Oh, that's fun. That's a nice little uh, Easter egg. Yeah. I liked I liked X Files when it was like a monster of the week kind of thing. It's probably some of the better episodes, in my opinion. Foxes also do show up in Pompoco. They're oh, like, really? <clears throat> yeah, at the end they are shown to be like business people living amongst humans, and they are generally they are like sympathetic to the Tanuki, but they event they kind of recommend, hey, just like. Just go with it, because you're never going to beat these humans. Just shapeshift, walk among them. And... Uh, the old, if you can't beat them, join them type thing? Yeah, and then the the the, the foxes are very... I don't want to say... They're not, like, super underhanded, but there is an element to them where whenever they're around, you're kind of like, these guys, I don't know how much you can trust them type of thing. Sure. And they seem like relatively successful business people, so it's kind of like a... Are they supposed to be like successful? It's it's hard to say because they're not in it like a ton. They're just in there. Vulpix is also based on Kitsune, which makes sense because doesn't Vulpix evolve, evolve into in nine tails? tails? Yeah, pretty yeah. sure it does. Lots of stuff with foxes. Foxes are, dang, I I'm I've like got a list in front of me, and they're just like Inuyasha has fox has Kitsune in it. Oh and... yeah, I forgot about that one. I don't know how. Apparently in oh getting back to super Ma- getting back to Mario apparently Tanuki Luigi when you get into some of the later games is designed more to look like a Kitsune. Oh really? Oh where like he has fox ears instead of like Tanuki ears. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Interesting. Oh Miles Tails Prower. Oh. Yeah, that's true. 
multi-tailed fox, yeah. Two-tailed wow, fox. how did I not think of that one? That was right in front of my face. He has none of the traditional characteristics of a kitsune except for wisdom. Hmm. Hey, did you pick up that blip on your scouter just now? I did. The warrior we're looking for must be near. Should we raise our battle power? That might not be wise. He may have a scouter or similar device of his own, and if he sees a couple of power levels like our spike, he may run. So, let him run. We'll chase him down. Is that really how you want to encounter a potential new member of the Frieza Force? By chasing them down and hunting them? Mm, fair point. But the last time we met a new warrior, giant insects leapt out of nowhere, bit his head off, and chased us into a cave. Remember that? That's happened to me like 15 times by now. Maybe 18. I don't really keep track anymore. Giant insects, too, specifically. Every time. And here we are, on the planet of Kamani, which you say is populated by giant carnivorous ants, and you think it won't just happen again? I got a good feeling about this one. What? Why? Well, it's win-win. If nothing happens, you owe me a Kamanian bullet ant shank, and if a Kamanian bullet ant jumps out and attacks, I'll fry it and get my shank anyway. What if it attacks us? Our power levels aren't raised right now. It'll take a minute to power up, and I'll be killed. Well, I never meant to imply it'd be win-win for both of us. This job gets worse every day. Hey, I think I see the warrior. Where? Well, he kind of blends in with his surroundings, but see that especially thick little copse of trees over there? Oh, yeah, I do. Hello, sir? Madam? Okay, listeners, while Bikini reaches out to the new potential recruit, we'll take our leave. We're ambassadors of the almighty Frieza, and we would like to know if you'd be interested in joining the most elite fighting force in the galaxy. Good opening, recruit. Will the warrior join us? Will giant ants pop out and attack? Do I hear those bird-like noises growing louder by the second? Find out next time and help us achieve our final forum. by Tom Gwelly. It is performed by Dan Kinney and Tom Gwelly. Our webmaster is Dan Kinney. Our theme music is provided by YouTube content creator GVG Kit. Want to learn more about the Dragon Ball universe, including concept art, behind-the-scenes interviews, and recommendations from Jelly and Bikini? Connect with us on social media. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Final Forum Pod. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you receive your podcasts. And of course, make sure to share with your friends and family and help us spread the word of the glory of Lord Frieza. The Frieza Force thanks you for your listenership. 